We'd love to have you come and serve with us on that day. I was just asked this week by someone, what's a practical way that I can get involved, a practical way that I can serve people who are in need? And this is one of those ways. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, Good morning, by the way. My name is Matt, and it's uh, great to have you here this morning as we worship Jesus together. I have had a number of you ask me if I know how the women's retreat is going. Uh, I don't is the answer to that question. They must be having a great time because I don't know how it's going. My wife, my daughter, they have not been in communication with me, except at 1 a.m. last night, my wife sent me a text message that said, I love you and I'm praying for you. And I thought, this is way past your bedtime. So things must be going well, I'm guessing, uh, for her to be up at that time. So we're excited. We've got a bunch of women at a camp this weekend who are joining us in worshiping Jesus Uh, at a distance. So we are worshiping together uh, this morning. Uh, Friends, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Rest for Your Soul. And I'd love to pray for us one more time before we dig back into Matthew chapter 11 and that passage that is guiding and directing us in this. Father, we're so thankful for your word and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us right now pressing your word upon our lives, giving us the encouragement and strength and conviction that we need through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, isn't that little sheep adorable? Right? You can't look at that without going, oh, the little sheep is adorable. And, and I think this image was selected for the series because the image communicates rest to us, doesn't it? The image communicates peace as that sheep is asleep. And of course, that sheep is resting. The surroundings are serene. Is there anything better for a sheep than to be in these circumstances? Nap time in the sun in the meadow. Does it get better for a sheep than that? Nap time in the sun in the meadow. And there is all sorts of rest and serenity going on here. And as I looked at this image and thought about it, I thought, there are so many times when the circumstances of our lives don't look like this. They, They don't look like nap time in the sun in the meadow. They look like craziness. They look like hurt. They look like the suffering of loss. They look like chaos. There are so many times in our lives where the circumstances around us don't look like nap time in the meadow. The circumstances around us look like a great big bowl of crazy. And the question that I have is, is it possible for us to still have rest and peace when our circumstances don't look like this, but instead look like craziness, instead look like hurt or hardship? In our theme passage for this sermon series, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says that we can have rest, and he doesn't attach it in any way to the circumstances that we're in. As a matter of fact, he says you can have rest for your soul, for the deepest part of who you are. And he doesn't attach it to our circumstances, he attaches it to himself. Our our peace and our rest in the deepest part of who we are are attached to Jesus and his salvation in our life. Let's look at that passage again. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? What is Jesus offering? Rest for our souls. Rest for the deepest part of who we are. Jesus' audience here would have immediately connected this rest that Jesus is talking about with the Hebrew idea of shalom, peace and contentment in the deepest place of who we are as people. And Jesus says you can have that shalom, that rest, that peace in your inner person. You can have that deep sense of contentment. And who is it that can have it? Anyone who labors and is heavy laden, anyone who has a burden of soul and will come to Jesus. And anyone whose soul is burdened and will come to Jesus can experience that rest, that, that deep peace within our soul. Right? Anybody want that? We've seen, we've been looking at how Jesus, coming to Jesus and his salvation produces that rest and that peace and the first week we saw we have a, a rest and a peace deep within us because we've been declared innocent in the courtroom of God. We've also seen how Jesus' salvation last week brings rest and peace to us because we are growing more like Jesus. This week, we're going to see how we can have rest and peace in our lives because of the heavenly inheritance that God has promised to us as his followers. And in order to look at how that heavenly inheritance produces rest and peace in the deepest places in our lives, we're going to look at a short passage that Paul wrote in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As Paul writes this, his life is not sunshine and naps in the meadow. The last few years for him have been filled with circumstantial hardship, pain, and chaos. As a matter of fact, he talks about the pain of his circumstances just a few chapters later. In the same book, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at the sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentile, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. All of this list about beatings, Beatings with whips, beatings with rods, I'm hungry, I don't sleep. All of these hardships don't even include the fact that he's going blind and he can't write his own letters at this point. He's been locked in jail for years, having committed no crime. He doesn't even mention that here in this. His life has not been naps in the meadow. 
and yet he is experiencing rest and peace in the innermost part of who he is. How is that possible? How is it possible when all of circumstances are crazy and chaos that a person can experience rest and peace? The world would say that the way that you can experience rest and peace is to take all of those circumstances and make them positive. If you can take all of those circumstances that are bad and turn them into good circumstances, all of those circumstances that are hard and make them comfortable, then you can have peace. Right? We, we all have uh, good and bad circumstances, hard and comfortable circumstances in our lives. And the world's answer for peace, for rest, is to make sure that all of those circumstances are on the upswing. I got circumstances related to my health. If I want peace and rest, I better make sure those are on the upswing. The upswing in my finances, the upswing in my family relationships, the upswing in my possessions, the upswing in on and on and on. Right? We have all of these areas where we have circumstances, and the world's answer for how to have peace and rest is to make sure that all or at least most of those circumstances are on the upswing, that they are going from hard to comfortable from bad to good. How does that approach work when it comes to rest and peace? It doesn't. Why? Because God has promised to us that in this broken world contaminated by sin, we're going to have hardships. Jesus says to his followers in John chapter 16, as long as you live in this world, you're going to have what? He says, you're going to have tribulations. James chapter 1 says, not if you experience trials of many kinds, right? But what? When you experience trials of many kinds. As long as we live in a broken world tainted by sin, our circumstances are not always going to continue on the upswing. We're going to experience hardships and pain. Part of the reason for that is, We don't have control over a whole lot of our circumstances, right? There's a whole lot of our circumstances in this world that we don't have control over. Uh, I think of four years ago, my family uh, was headed to Montana. I have a friend who has a house in the Beartooth Mountains there, and we were going to host, uh, our family was going to go and host a family reunion in this big house in the mountains of Montana. There were going to be 24 of our family members from Oregon and from Minnesota who were going to be meeting there halfway in between and spending a week together. Uh, We were responsible, Eric and I were responsible for hosting everyone, and so we were going out a little bit before everybody so that we could get there and get settled and then welcome everyone. None of them had ever been there before. And as we were on our way out, about 120 miles this side of Billings, my son is driving and five deer run out across the freeway. Uh, they, They lined up almost as if to say, we dare you to try and get by. Well, the speed limit there is 80 miles per hour. My son was 17 at the time as he's driving, and so I'm sure he was doing every bit of 80 miles per hour. And as we're driving along, you could just see when I looked over at him as those deer came out that he was like, 
uh, we're just picking which one we're hitting. Right? Like we can't avoid it. He did a great job of not swerving, of not trying to lock up the brakes. He just said, okay, I'm going there. And he hit a deer and it flew a long way and it died. And when he pulled over, I got out and the whole front of the SUV was caved in and it was undrivable. Well, what's 120 miles this side of Billings? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so we called a tow truck, and we waited, and we waited, and we hung out there in the dark by the side of the freeway for an extended period of time. Finally, the tow truck got there and started to hook up our SUV in order to pull it 120 miles into Billings. And it's as he's hooking up the car that I realize, well, tow trucks don't have a back seat. Huh, there's four of us. And so we piled into the tow truck on top of each other, my 17-year-old son is seated in my lap. My wife is seated on my daughter's lap as we are driving along into Billings. We arrived at the auto body shop in Billings at 2.30 a.m., and we called an Uber to come and get us. And this mom shows up in her minivan at 2.30 in the morning to Uber us to a hotel. I'm like, wow, this is quite a life she is living. We get to our hotel around 3 a.m., my wife's still trying to make arrangements for the rental car. I'm saying thank you to the Uber driver. We go in and we try and get a little sleep because i got to get up at 7 a.m. the following morning and walk two miles in order to go to the rental car place so that I can get a rental car and we can finally get to the place we're headed. So instead of arriving first at the house so that we could host everyone, we got there last. Not only that, we had arranged ahead of time that we would be the ones who picked up all the food for the week and brought it. And so not only do we arrive there last, we arrive there without all the food that we were supposed to pick up in order to bring it. And we arrive there as a family a little worse for wear as we prepare to host all of our family at this reunion. Why? Why did this happen? Is my son just not as committed as he needs to be to this idea of creating constant positive circumstances? Is that the problem? Right? No, what's the problem? The problem is there's a lot of our circumstances that are out of our control. A whole lot of them. And so if the idea is that I need to create constant positive circumstances in my life, I need to recognize that's impossible. I don't have control over a whole lot of the circumstances in my life. Not only that, if my aim is to experience rest and peace and joy by producing constantly positive circumstances, what I'm really going to experience is a lot of worry and anxiety about whether or not I'm going to get there. If I have to align all of my circumstances so that they're on a constant positive trajectory, all I am going to experience is worry and anxiety about whether or not I'm going to be able to do that. And then, those times when I am able to experience some positive, uh, some positive circumstances, when it is on the upswing, what do I do? I worry about whether or not I can keep it there. Oh, this is going well. And we experience worry and anxiety about whether or not we can possibly keep it there. The world's answer for us is to create constantly positive circumstances. This is a fool's errand. 
If we want to be free from worry and anxiety and instead experience peace and rest in the deepest place of our soul, this is a a fool's errand. It will never work. Paul says, no, believers aren't dependent on constant circumstantial upswings for peace and for rest and for joy in their life. Instead, they depend upon Jesus and his salvation. Go back to that passage, right, uh, that we were looking at. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, my heart isn't downcast. My heart is renewed day by day. I'm not experiencing a heart that is discouraged. Instead, I'm experiencing a heart that is refilled day after day after day. How is that possible? Because his mind and heart are focused on his eternity with Jesus and all that's good. His mind and heart aren't focused on his current circumstances, which have been pure chaos. His mind and heart are focused on what? On his eternity with Jesus. And his eternity in heaven. Paul has a certain future windfall that outweighs any of his current ups and downs. Let me say that again. Paul has a certain future windfall that overwhelms any of his current circumstances. You understand how that works? Uh, Let me illustrate how that works by using my daughter's finances. She's at the women's retreat, so I can say anything I want about her this morning. <clears throat> Let's say that my daughter experiences financial ups and downs this week. Her car breaks down. She takes it in. She finds out it's going to cost her $2,000 in order to get the car fixed. Uh, later on in the week, she's called in, and they do her review. And they say, you're doing a great job, and we're giving you a raise. Okay. Right? Circumstantial down, there's a circumstantial up. She says, oh, in order to celebrate this raise, I'm taking my dad out to the nicest dinner I can think of. She takes her dad out, and because of who he is as a person, he orders the most expensive thing on the menu. As a matter of fact, he orders two of them so he can have lunch for the following day. She's like, this is costing me a fortune. I can't take this guy out, right? Circumstance, ups and downs and ups and downs over the course of the week when it comes to her finances. But let's say that this week she also finds out that she has an extremely rich aunt and uncle. When I say extremely rich, I'm talking about billionaire rich. And that this extremely rich aunt and uncle have set up a trust for her that she will receive in two years when she turns 25 of $500 million. What is her focus when it comes to her finances? What is her focus going to be on over the course of this week? How much is she going to be devastated by that $2,000 she's got to pay in order to get the car fixed when she has just found out that in two years she'll be inheriting $500 million? She is going to pay that $2,000 and experience peace as she does it. And she's going to receive that raise and experience peace as she does. And she's going to take her dad out for the nicest dinner imaginable. 
hope she's watching this later. Nicest dinner imaginable. And she's going to experience peace as she spends that money. Because she has a future inheritance that far outweighs any of her current financial circumstances. And for us as believers, the eternity that we have with Jesus, being like Jesus, within heaven that is all that is good, is far greater than the inheritance of $500 million. It overwhelms all of our current circumstances. Paul says, I can't see it right now, right? It's those things that are invisible that he talks about. But by faith, I can see it. And by daily faith, my current circumstances are overwhelmed. And I experience peace and rest in the salvation of Jesus because my mind and my heart are focused on heaven. Our worst hardships, Paul says, are light and momentary. Right? Our worst hardships are light and momentary. Think about what Paul's calling light and momentary here. Uh, Being beaten on multiple occasions. He got stoned to the point where everyone thought he was dead. Locked in prison for years on end, having committed no crime. He says, these things are light and momentary, friends. Compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. I don't believe that Paul means to minimize our hurt and hardship. I believe what he is doing here is helping us to maximize what awaits us, to understand how great that eternal weight of glory is for us. The the hardships that we experience now, they're like little speed bumps that we experience in a parking lot compared to the Mount Everest of glory that is ours as followers of Jesus. And Paul says, genuine rest and peace comes when we focus our hearts and minds on our salvation and what is ours in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about all of the great things that are ours in this eternal inheritance. It says, blessed be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Here is peace, here is rest, here is joy, here is contentment in this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There is peace, there is rest in this inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Look at the three descriptive words that he uses here. Imperishable. Everything in our world is in the process of perishing. I went and worked out this weekend. It's my once a month when I go and work out. And I'm I'm sore today from working out. When I was 18, I wouldn't have been experiencing this same soreness. What is going on? I'm in the process of perishing, right? That's life. We are all, everything around us is in the process of perishing. God says that will absolutely not be true of our new inheritance. In the new heaven and the new earth, nothing will perish. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more tears because it will be a forever and eternal inheritance that we experience. What's the second word that he uses here? It's undefiled. Everything in our world experiences contamination. As I look at my own life, 
there's constant contamination. Thoughts I don't want to have, words I don't want to speak, actions that I wish I could take back. I'm confident I'm not alone in that. You look around, it has clearly been tainted or contaminated by sin. The world's filled with sin and selfishness, and God says that will absolutely not be true of our heavenly inheritance. No contamination. Only love and joy and peace and purity we will experience in our relationships and in our, in our surroundings. And the final descriptor he uses is it's unfading. The joy that we experience in this life, when we get something new, when things are positive for us, it fades. You give a kid that toy, the toy they've always wanted, the toy that would make their dreams come true. They are so happy for a week. And then they need the next toy that would make their dreams come true. If any of you have ever had the experience of buying a new car and that new car smell and, and you show it off to people and a year later you're like, oh, I wonder what my next new car is going to be. Because our experience of joy fades in this life. And God says that will never happen. In our eternal experience, we will have forever to explore the infinite greatness and beauty of who God is, and we will never get to the bottom of His greatness. We will never get to the bottom of His beauty. We will experience an unfading joy throughout all of our inheritance. How is it possible that we can have rest, that we can have peace, no matter what our circumstances are? by focusing on our salvation and the eternal inheritance that is ours in God. Now, who is it that experiences that salvation and that eternal inheritance? Well, the answer to that, I, I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 11 and our theme verses for this, where it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Right? We getting this memorized yet? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who is it that experiences this rest for our souls that comes with the salvation of Jesus? It's those who come to him. But that isn't all that it says. Rest for our souls comes from those who take the yoke of Jesus upon them. Right? What is a yoke? Well, you've been staring at the piece of wood behind me on the stage, right? So let me see if I can pick it up. Who knows? It's good size. Right? What is what is a yoke? A yoke is what you would attach to mules or oxen so that they could pull your plow as you farmed. Now, there were single yokes that you could put over an oxen or a mule so that they could pull your plow, but more often, uh, people used this double yoke so that you could attach it to two different oxen who would be able to pull your plow all the more, all, all the greater so you would attach them in here, uh, and they would go to work for you. Jesus says, ultimate rest for your soul comes to those who take my yoke upon them. 
When I first heard this passage, I greatly misunderstood what Jesus was offering here. What I thought Jesus was offering here was help for me to pull my yoke. I mean, life is filled with burden, isn't it? I've got all these dreams and all of these desires for what I want my life to be like. As I'm growing up, I've got dreams and desires about what kind of house I'm going to live in, what kind of family I'm going to have, what kind of job I'm going to work in, what kind of friends I'm... We have all of these dreams and desires. And you guys, bringing those dreams and desires to fruition is hard, isn't it? All those dreams and desires you grow up with that are in some sense influenced uh, by the things that the world around us says that you need, to bring all of those to fruition is hard work. It's a heavy burden. And what I thought Jesus was saying in this passage is, if you will come to me, then as you try and pull that burden, I will get under the other side. And I will help you pull that burden of your dreams and your desires to the place of completion, to the place of fulfillment. Just call on me, and I'll come, and I'll make your dreams come true. This kind of using of Jesus as a boost towards our own dreams and desires, I often refer to as coming to Red Bull Jesus, right? Uh, I was a little late to the Red Bull game. I think the first time I tried it was six years ago. And when I first tried a Red Bull, the only reaction I had was, this is disgusting. This tastes awful. Who would drink this? Right? Why do people drink a Red Bull? Because they've got stuff that they want to get done, stuff they want to accomplish and they're running on empty, and so they drink an energy drink in order to give them a boost so that they can accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. And when I first heard this passage, I really thought that's what Jesus was offering, that I've got this heavy burden of my life filled with all my dreams and my desires, and if I just call on Red Bull Jesus, he'll come and give me the boost that I need in order to accomplish all of my dreams and my desires. But that's not what Jesus is offering in this passage at all, is it? What Jesus is saying in this passage is, Matt, I need you to discard all of your dreams and your desires, that yoke of your life, and instead take on my yoke with my dreams and my desires for your life that's filled with my teaching. And when you do that, when, when you take off, because you can't wear two yokes, when you take off your yoke filled with your dreams and your desires, and instead take on my yoke filled with the dreams and desires of Jesus for your life, the dreams and desires of my kingdom for your life, what you're going to experience is that yoke is light. That yoke is kind. That yoke is ultimately good. Jesus calls all of us to get out from under the yoke of our own life, trying to pull towards our own dreams and desires, and instead to come under His yoke, filled with His dreams and desires for our life, filled with His Lordship 
in our life. I'd love for us to just take a a moment right now uh, and bow our heads. And would you just spend this moment talking to Jesus about the yoke in your life? Are there ways in which I've been trying to run back to my own yoke, filled with my dreams, my desires, the things that the world says that I need? Is there any way that I need to let go of that and fully come under his desires, his dreams, his lordship?